All right. So most of you know my family. Um, so you've seen us at church. You've seen us wandering around with three children. And the Lord has brought those three children into our homes in very different ways at different times in our life. Uh, one of them is here in the back. Everyone say hi, Landon. There you go. Uh, Landon is our youngest, and he is one of our biological, well, I say one, he's our only biological son. Um, we have David, who was adopted internationally when he was 14 months from Ethiopia. And then in the last few years, we have adopted another son, Bentley, and he has been in our home for about three and a half-ish years. Now, Bentley came when he was 10. And so as he's preparing to come to our house, the caseworker had us kind of think through, okay, so you're going to have some rhythms at your house that Bentley is not going to be familiar with, right? There's thing, there are things we do in the Butler home that he's going to come in not knowing. And so we needed to think through, okay, Bentley's coming. What are some things that he should know about being a butler? And some of it's the simple like routine of, okay, this is, we have a bedtime. We're going to go to bed at a certain time and we're going to get up at a certain time. And there are kind of expectations of what we do together. We're going to serve the house. We call it, I don't call it chores, which I'm sure is very obnoxious, but we serve the house because it takes all of us, right, to make this house run, not just mom. We need help to make that go. Um, so there's some expectations that come in, but there's also some great privileges, right? Like we're going to celebrate you and we're going to love you and we're here for you. And so it's going both ways. And if one of you came to our house just to visit, right, we don't do that with you. I don't sit you down and go, okay, Kylie. All right, so here's what time the butlers go to bed. Um, and here's what time the butlers get up in the morning. And okay, and here's why we don't watch TV while we're having dinner because we're trying to have like conversations at dinner. Like you're just, you're visiting. And I don't feel the need to explain some of the rhythms that make us a family because you're just visiting. But see, Bentley is a adopted in, and he's a butler. So Landon and David and Bentley, we have different conversations with. They are our sons. If you were here last week, we kind of ended our time with Jeff White uh, talking about this idea of being adopted into God's family, like what that means as the Lord is doing the work of saving us, right? We talked about the redemption that we needed because we were sinners in need of a savior and that he adopts us as his children. And that has a, a unique flavor, right, for our family as we think through adoption, but it's true of us. And so I love that image that Jeff left us with. And I was going to give a plug for our podcast that you could go back and listen to it, but turns out uh, there was a little glitch and that didn't get recorded, so I apologize. But you can go back and listen to other messages if you would like. We try really hard to have them all available. Um, but some of the verses he left us with, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in them a lot this evening. We're going to start where kind of Jeff ended with Ephesians 1. And I'll read this one for us, but I will need some readers. So just be prepared. Ephesians 1, I'm going to start... At verse 3, it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy 
and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. His blood has made us sons. He has made us daughters, and that is a beautiful thing. Which means if we are adopted, we are adopted into something, right? It would be weird if Bentley had stood before the judge on his adoption day and go, yeah, I would like to be adopted, but I do not want to be a butler, right? That would be, the judge would be very confused by that, right? He is being adopted into a family. That's what that word means. Um, And so something is happening when God says you were predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters into a family. And we call that the church. A picture of this is in Galatians 3. If someone would like to read it for us, it will be Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Thank you. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, isn't that beautiful? We're baptized. We're united as one. All in Christ. All adopted in Christ as one body. So the question we're going to have to work through is, then what does he mean by the church? Right? That's the question we're here to ask. What is this church? What are we adopted into? But before I answer it for us, I actually want you guys to discuss it. So I want you to get in some groups, three, four, turn around if you need to, to add some people. And at the, on the back side of your page... I want you guys to work on question number one, which is what makes a church a church? Like, what do you think? And if you and a group of friends are meeting at Aspen, because where else would we meet to open up and do our Bible study, right? Does that count as the church? All right, so discuss, and then we'll come back in a couple minutes. What did you guys come up with in your groups? What makes a church a church? What are your thoughts? There was lots of discussion, so lots of voices. So we got something. All right, Tim. I think there has to be some form of structure, whether that's you know setting up elders or deacons or just some form of ability where people can lead and shepherd people within. Okay, so we need some kind of oversight. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna put elder since that's the word you used. Okay. What else? Like it? Okay. You want to expand upon that? Teaching each other, like challenging each other. Okay. All right. I'm going to put teaching. Okay. Teaching, discipleship. Yep. Just people, believers. Okay. Anything that qualifies that? Those who believe in Jesus, who have professed his, his name. Okay. 
Okay, so they uh, are on mission at some level. Okay, a united mission. Okay, anything else we want to add to this list? <laughs> are you sweating up here? No, keep getting. <laughs> oh, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so kind of a family of God. Yeah. Okay, so here's our starting list. These are great. This is a great, like, we will actually hit on pieces of these in different parts as we go through tonight. So this is going to be fun. All right, so what is the church? So on your sheet, there's this fun, like, two words put together. On the right, we have the Greek word for church, which is ekklesia. And then on the right, we put, like, well, how we would say it in English, right? Ecclesiology is the study of the church. So they're a little bit different, but I wanted to put them both there so you could see them. Ekklesia is the word that translators use for the church as we open up scripture most often. Um, and here's what's fun. This word just means assembly, gathering. Right? Not a really particular religious term, just people coming together, which is, I was new to me. That was a new thought, that it just, I had a vision of what this was going to be, and it was not gathering. Like, all right, well, that seems like me meeting at Aspen is totally just the church. So we're going to keep digging here. So the New Testament authors, as they are, continuing to use this word, ecclesia, ecclesia, describing what it is that these believers are doing together and, and how they are acting, and, and they're describing it in different ways. We're going to call this images, these figures of speech. Like it becomes richer and richer over time in which it begins to have a very different flavor from just, yeah, it's just any old gathering. No, this is a really special gathering. But it took many authors and it took years to kind of work together and this develop into what we kind of think of probably more naturally now as the church is not just this little gathering of whoever, wherever, but some really specific things, right? You guys already knew some things that you wanted to make the church. Can anybody think of some images that the Bible uses? I had four on there, but there are way more than that when we think about the church. We'll get to my four in a minute. You may hit on them. Body of Christ. Okay, the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, multi-generational. Multi-generational. Um, I don't know that that's the title, but it's kind of the, like the family. Yes, which would be multi-generational. Yeah. Yes. The bride, yeah, it's a good one. So we have family, we have bride, we have body. You guys have almost got all four of them. You're so close, Lauren. The what? The cross. Um, 
drill. I don't know where like it connects specifically to the cross. Um, it is obviously a piece of it, like it's a piece of what we believe and that makes us part of the church, right? The vine, yeah, that's a the, what, that is definitely one. The vine and the branches, yeah. yep. All right, so I'm going to give you my four, but I want to find some references, and I've added multiple references to them, and those are not all of the references to these images. All right, the first one is the people of God slash family. So however you wanted to write that, people, family. The one I want to read for us is 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, But you, you, you the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we have this beautiful picture of this shared identity that Christ gives us as a royal priesthood, as this holy nation, something he has bestowed upon us and makes us his people in doing so. So this beautiful identity that he shares with us. All right, image number two, the bride. Would someone like to read for me Revelation 19, 6 through 8? Anybody got that? It's Revelation 19, 6 through 8. Thank you, Stanton. So these saints, these believers, are dressed in pure white. They are ready for their wedding day. They're ready for their groom. And it's this beautiful picture of purity, right? Fully white. But, right, remember who, who made their, her white? She was given this linen. She was made righteous. So this beautiful picture of her bride, this purity that God has for his church. All right, image number three, the body. Would someone like to read for me Colossians 1, verse 18, please? Thank you, Trey. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, mm. the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Mm. Christ is the head of the body. Everything flows from him and for him and to him, right? That's the image we have in Philippians 2. All is for him. He is the head. We are the body. All right, image number four, the temple. Someone like to read for me 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Thank you. 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Mm. This temple. You, right? Describing both this individual and his church. You are the temple. You are holy, right? God has called us to be holy as he is holy. And so we have yet another image. And they're all different, right? There's this holy and we're pure and we're united. um, And we're made identifying marks as the body, as the people. And yet these four still don't encompass all that it would mean to be his church. And these aren't the only images, right? We have the vine and we have the branches. There are 60-some more-ish, maybe more, that the authors of the New Testament use to describe what it is to be the church. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of the grandness of what this is that the Lord has provided for us in the church. But it's not just for us, it's through us and for His glory. Because everything is for His glory. Now here's what's fun. Is when the Bible talks about the church, we're actually looking at it from two different angles. And the words we, we use sometimes are the big C and the little c. Um, I want to share kind of a story. Um, a few years ago, the Sunnybrook staff started a new thing. And it was, we're going to do mon- Monday morning prayer time. Now, at that time, I actually wasn't on staff, uh, but it was something they were getting ready to do, and I thought, oh, I mean, I love prayer. I would love to pray with our minister. This, this I will go to this, 9 a.m. Monday. That's not even early. Great. There was not really a lot of vision casting of what this was, so I really had no idea what I was walking into. And I walk in, and Ryan Vincent hands me this book. All right? The Book of Common Prayer. Okay, great. Still have no idea what we're doing. Just going to follow along. This sounds great. And so I'm going, and we're standing some, and we're kneeling some, and we're reciting kind of back and forth. Like, it's very liturgical, right, if you grew up in a liturgical. So there's lots of order to it, and you're following specific promptings. But the book tells you, and it's very helpful. About midway through, we hit this section, and we're going to be reciting the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to be standing all together, and it starts out great. I'm, all, I'm with it, all right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Yep. Believe in Jesus Christ, and we're going through. And then all of a sudden, we hit this line. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, okay, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. And I, I did not say that, because I went, I don't believe that. I do not believe that at all, actually. But everyone around me is, yep, uh, the Holy Catholic Church. I'm like, I feel like I've missed something. Oh. But we just keep going, keep falling wrong. But okay, all right. I'll come back next week. We'll see what those, maybe we start like in the middle of the book. Maybe we go somewhere else. I don't know. Again, no instructions are really giving. I'm just kind of following along. Next week. Sure enough, we're back at the Apostles' Creed. Okay. Nope, still can't say it. Can't. But all these people I'm surrounded with, right? The staff of St. who I um, look up to in many ways um, and trust their leading in many ways, are all saying this. So in my head, all right, this has got to mean something other than what I am thinking this means. And so I finally walk up to Jim and Ryan. I was 
said, okay, guys, I, I, I can't say this. You were saying this. I feel like I've missed something. And I know it's no surprise to you, but they laughed at me. Like, that happens. They love me. I love them. Um, but this word Catholic is not meaning, like, the Catholic Church. Catholic is actually universal. This holy, this set-apart, universal church, which I absolutely did believe in. But it took me a little bit. I had to understand what the words meant, which is a kind of a key point of what we're doing this summer, right? Is we're kind of drawing out some big theological terms, trying to flesh them out a little bit, because we use them sometimes on a Sunday morning or on a Thursday night, and we don't always know what they mean. Um, and I'm here to say, like, ask questions. Like, I know sometimes it feels silly, right? I felt a little bit silly going, okay, I don't know what this word means. This little C Catholic, I don't know. Um, and yet it changed everything, right? It changed this creed that now I can say on every Monday morning. So ask the questions when we don't know. It really is worth it. Like we are learning about this great God and there's so much there, it's so rich. So that's just a plug to just ask the questions. You can also join us on Monday morning at 9 a.m. for prayer. That is also an option to you. So I will throw that out. Amy has got to come a couple times. Rachel came before she was officially on staff. Um, I don't know if anyone else has been there, maybe. But it really, it's good. I, it's, I've loved it. But anyway, so when the Bible is talking, we are talking both the universal, we sometimes call it the big C church, Right? And so when we're talking about these images that he has of the bride that he will come back for at the end of time, it is the church, the big C universal church, which is all believers who have placed their faith in Christ at all times and all places. So this is those that were before us, those are going to come after us, all believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord, right? He is the Messiah. He is all he has said he's going to be. Some ways we see this is like in Matthew 16, where we have Peter's great confession. And Jesus says, Peter, on you, this truth that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. In Ephesians 5, we get this beautiful picture of Christ giving up himself for his church, right? This image of a husband and a wife. No, it's actually Jesus and his bride. This greater picture of him giving himself up for the universal, all believers from all times. That's what we're here for, is what you would say. And then, but it shifts, right? So those big C, there's a little C, right? And so we write it. So I wrote big C here, and we'd say either a church or a small c church, is how we would describe that, is our local church. Those believers who have placed their faith in Christ, right? We can't get around that. You have to be a believer in who Jesus Christ is, that his death paid your penalty. That has to be a piece of it. But they gather at a specific time, in a specific place, right? So Sunnybrook Christian Church is where I attend. That is my local church. And we see this in Scripture, right? At the beginning of a lot of the epistles, the letters to all who are in Rome. So he's writing to Rome, the church there, to the saints of Christ in Colossae. So the authors are writing to a specific church about a specific thing, right? We just spent an entire year in 1 Corinthians. Paul had a lot to say to the church in Corinth. He was trying to redirect some things. And so 
the authors of these epistles were writing to a very specific church at a specific time. Now, in the early years, as the church was going, um, it wasn't really hard to say what was a true church and what wasn't, right? There, one, there weren't that many of them. And two, like they were getting severely persecuted. So it wasn't like people were just jumping on the bandwagon. Like, that sounds great. I would love to be persecuted. No, when you said you were in, you were in. So it's very different than now in that sense. But over time, as the church is growing, time is passing, and we have this big thing called the Reformation that comes, it gets a little harder. It gets a little harder to distinguish, like, the, all these buildings say the church on it. Okay, but what, okay, what is the true church? Like, where do we line up? Like, I want to, like, there's the big C, universal, but we're called to be, also be a part of a little C, local. How do I know that I'm going to a true church in that sense? And so different questions had to be asked. And historically, the church is kind of held to three markers. Um, it can be, Drew, Drew had to walk me through this, but there could be up to five, but we're going to go with three tonight. That's how we're going to divide it up. And I want to use Acts 2 kind of as our framework for this, because Acts is where the church kind of gets going. So I want to go back there. So if you want to turn to Acts 2, I'm really going to summarize it, because there's so much in there. Got to get to it first. All right, so Acts 2. We're at Pentecost, so a lot of people have gathered for this uh, festival. So lots of people in town. Jesus has just recently ascended into heaven. He has left, um, and the Holy Spirit has come in great power, just as he said it would. And he's empowering his people, his apostles, as he, they go out. And Peter gives this really bold sermon, talking to this vast audience, and he's telling them, that it is indeed them who has killed this Messiah that has been promised. It is indeed them that has killed the Lord that has come to save them. And much to our surprise when I read it, they actually are pierced in the heart. Like something changes in them. And they are broken over this, that this one that came to save them and forgive them. He really is who he said he was when he was on this earth. And it changed them. And they were pierced in the heart. And they repented. And were baptized. And there were about 3,000 in number. And here's what is great. That is not where the story ends. Right? There are so many today which kind of breaks my heart. That will repent and be baptized. And then have no part of his church. Right? It's just them individually. Yeah, just me and the Lord. But that's not where Acts 2 ends. They repent and they're baptized and it continues in verse 42. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So there was something that happened after this. There was a, a gathering that began this word, right? Ecclesia. The gathering is beginning. So some of the things that we pick up. Number one, the proclamation of the gospel is the first mark of a true church. Right? They are devoting themselves to what the apostles are teaching them about 
Like, it's not just anything, right? No, they're there to teach them about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done in their stead, and they can't miss that. That is foundational for not just them, but the church at large. You have to know who Jesus is. So Ephesians 2, would someone like to read for me? Obviously, we have many texts to choose from. But anybody want to read, do Ephesians 2, 8 through 9? What are these apostles teaching? Thank you. How is it that we teach you the, in our own language to which we were born? Oh, hold on. Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, we moved out of Acts. Yeah, that's okay. It's all right. It was really close. Okay, thanks, Drew. Mm, I did A through 9. Thank you. Right? This is a, a gift. I, we cannot earn what Jesus did for us. We could not pay the penalty that was due. Someone had to do it in our stead. And it was a gift, but it was a very costly gift, right? It took his blood on that cross. Very important key. So if the church is not proclaiming that, that he had to die in our place, that is a problem. All right, another one. This is Paul's summary of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. Does somebody like to read that for me? It's a little bit longer. Thank you, Allie. Yes, please. All right, so Paul's summary of the gospel, as he says, I passed it, what is most important, like you have to get this. This is what he wants them to know, right? That Christ did indeed die, and he died for your sins, just like it was promised it was going to happen. But he didn't stay dead, right? He was raised. And then he was resurrected in a way in which lots and lots of people saw him. Like it could not be disputed that this risen Savior is a real person that came back to life, which does not make sense apart from the miraculous work of God doing something. And we could go on and on, right? There are many verses which would say, like, a true church must be marked by what we teach about who Jesus is. The gospel must be proclaimed, which is why, right, we don't consider the Church of Mormon, or the Church of Jehovah's Witness, to be a true church, right? Because foundationally, they do not teach the same thing about who Jesus is. They are on very different ends, and so we say, no, no, we're, we're not in fellowship with you. You are not part of our universal church. You are not a church that we would say is a true church. All right, qualifier number two. Qualified leaders guarding and overseeing. 
right? If we look back in, in Acts 2, it, it's beginning with the apostles, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The Lord has given the Holy Spirit to them as they are going out, as they are proclaiming the gospel, and they are devoting themselves to what they are saying. But here's the thing. The apostles are, are going to be limited, and churches are going to be going lots of places after Pentecost. And so something else is going to be happening. And in Acts 14, verse 23, I'll go ahead and just summarize that. We see Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys and planting churches. And what they are doing as they go is they are appointing elders, what we call overseers. And notice that it's plural. Like it's not just one elder, it's elders to oversee these churches. And they're praying and fasting and committing. In Titus 1, we also see Paul talking to Titus. He says, this reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. Something wasn't finished when Paul left. And then, and as I directed you, I want you to appoint elders in the towns. Well, where I have a local church, there needs to be eldership. There needs to be overseers. There needs someone to guard the doctrine. And Titus, actually, if we keep reading there, it's going to give some qualifications. So it's not just any man. Any man can be an elder. No qualified men and he has very specific qualifiers that the Lord has asked of these men because they are going to be guarding the church's beliefs which is kind of a big deal right if we say this is really important that we're going to teach what the gospel says and who Jesus is we need someone to make sure that we are not missing that and if we're going to use this right back to our first week like we believe the authority of this, we need godly men who have poured their lives out working to guard what it says and impart it to us. Which is why you and me gathering at Aspen, right, over our delicious coffee is not what qualifies a church, right? I don't know how many times I've left with more questions than I had answers as we sat down and we're digging through scripture, right? Like they're just like, oh, okay. No, I come to the church and I sit under the teaching that is guarded by our eldership and I trust. Now that is not a blind, right? Not blindly, I still go back to scripture, but he has given us this great thing called elders, overseers, to help guard the doctrine of what we believe is so true. All right. Oh, one more. I forgot to mention this. It came to my notes a little later on this eldership piece. So in Matthew 18, it talks about church discipline, right? A brother is in sin, and you go to them one-on-one. But if the brother doesn't repent, right, you get a couple more friends, and you come again, and you hope, you hope and you pray, you repent, but he doesn't. And then what do you add in, right? You add in the church, but it's not just anyone at the church, right? I don't want just anyone making this decision on who is going to make the call on whether this person is staying in sin and what we do with them. No, I want an eldership over that. I want mature, godly, qualified men that are humbling themselves before the Lord as they make this really difficult decision of what it looks like 
to impart church discipline, to remove someone from our fellowship. That is not a light task. We need elders that are qualified to do that. And so that's a big deal. All right. Mark number three. Administration of the sacraments. And there's two in particular that Christ uh, commands of us. One, baptism. And baptism, we kind of talk about it like is the initiation into the church. It's this marker that we can have as a believer where we have publicly declared our allegiance, like a public confession that Christ alone is my Lord. Christ alone is my Savior. Apart from Him, I have no hope. Apart from Him, I have no redemption. Apart from Him, there is no restoration. He is it. And we do that by publicly confessing it in our baptism, which leads us into this adoption into His family. Right? We see it in Matthew 28. 28, this great commission, right? Jesus has resurrected, come back, and His last instructions like the most um, crucial thing he has for them, I want you to go. And I want you to make disciples and you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So we're going to go and we're going to baptize them. We're going to proclaim that Christ alone is it and I'm going to join this church called the family. Number two is our communion. Communion is kind of this ongoing membership, this ongoing reminder of who we are in Christ. You have this beautiful picture in 1 Corinthians 11, right, that we're going to remember. Would someone like to read it for us? It's 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. What it is we are doing when we take this bread and we take this cup and we remember Verse, it's chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Got it? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took his cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until mm-hmm. he comes. Mm. We remember. We remember our baptism. We remember what it costs for me to really be reconciled. This body and this blood that is broken. And the church comes together. And we remember together as a people united by Christ. This beautiful thing in this local church we get to do together. Like, it's not just me in my home, by myself. No, I gather with my brothers and sisters. And we get to partake, and we get to remember. And it is a good thing to remember. So those were our three. Our three markers of a true church. So there's some great resources on how we can think about this. Um, but the one that really stood for me is our family. I, to adopt Bentley. I can send Bentley to the Moss house, right? And Drew and Amy are going to care for him. And they're going to be kind to him. 
And because we are brother and sister in Christ, right, there, there's going to be a lot of similarities between our house and their house. But at the end of the day, Drew and Amy have not made the same commitment to Bentley that Casey and I have. So the same privileges and expectations that Bentley can expect from us as his adoptive parents is not quite the same as it is for Drew and Amy in which he is just visiting for a little bit. Right? We have this universal church that we are a part of. Right? So I have friends at Eagle Heights, and they are wonderful. And there are friends at Countryside, and they are wonderful. But that is not my local church. You guys get a different piece of us if we are at the same church. My commitment to you and my expectations of you and, my, and the privileges of us seeing each other every Sunday are very different than it is with Eagle Heights. Again, love them, grateful for them, but I don't share bread and juice with them every week. I'm not celebrating a baptism with them every week. And I don't sit under the same eldership that they do. We are in different homes in that sense. So universal local need both you have to have both guys all right i want to do another question in some groups it's question number two what are common objections to coming to the church why why do people not want to come and how do you think we can respond to that all right go One more minute.
Okay. All right, for the sake of time, we're going to kind of limit how many we hear. All right, common, common objections to why people don't want to come to church. All right, Alyssa? Alyssa's group here? Yes. Full of hypocrites. Full of hypocrites. All right. Yep. Yep, definitely heard that one. Amy? Mm-hmm. Church hurt? Yeah, yeah. Just the pain of a church hurt. Okay, last one. Allie? Don't need the church. Well, hopefully everything we've just talked about kind of walks through that a little bit. But, but more than that. Um, so one I have is I love Jesus, which is similar to Allie's, but I don't really need the church. Like me and Jesus, we're good. Don't really need his, his body. I'm good without that. Um, full of hypocrites. But here's the thing. I kind of get what they're saying. Right? I kind of get some of their objections. There are hypocrites in the church. And there are like legitimate places in which the church has hurt people in really awful ways. Like Those are real things. And so to dismiss them actually diminishes what is a, they have experienced, if that is true for someone that you are meeting with. So I would say even as someone that is objecting, to show them kindness and grace and that and listen well, even though we might end on different sides, like we want them to see the value of the church, like to understand that it's not coming from nowhere, this objection. There, there's something behind that objection that they're going with. Because the reality is this bride slash temple slash body slash people of God are not always all that the Lord has called us to be. We're not always as pure. We're not always as holy. We're not always as united as we're supposed to be. That's true. And I wish it wasn't, but it is, right? We can scroll the news often. We can think back to our history of the slave trade and how we treated Native Americans all in the name of Christ and his church. And we didn't do it well at times. But on the flip side, there are, some, there are times when the church, this body and temple and um, people and bride do a really great job. And it doesn't get quite the accolade in the news realm as all the failings do. But this bride that the church has, this church that he has set up, it is beautiful. And we are called to be a part of it. There's no way around it. Scripture doesn't give us an option of following Christ and not being part of his family. No, we are adopted into this family. We are a part of it. John 13, 34. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. He has humbled himself as low as you can possibly get. And he says to them at the end of it, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another by this. How we treat our brothers and sisters in the church. Everyone will know that you are mine. You are my disciples if you love one another. See, I can't fulfill any of the fruit of the Spirit at Galatians 5 by myself. 
I need the one another's, right? Ephesians, the one another's, over and over again, the one another's. We do this communally. We're restored vertically and horizontally when we come to Christ. Those things happen. You cannot separate them. I loved how St. Cyprian of Carthage says it. He says, He cannot have God as his father, who has not the church as his mother. We need both. We need the church as our mother to nurture and grow and guard and proclaim. And we need each other as we do that to remember all that Christ has done for us. And we do that in his church. I want to pray for our evening, but if you have questions afterwards, please come ask. Gracious, merciful Father, God, I thank you for the gift that it is to be a part of your family, God, to be a part of your church. Father, for it is a gift, and you use it to refine us, and it uses us to use our giftings that you provide, God, to make much of your name. God, and I thank you. I thank you that you are the one that instituted it. God, you are the one that sustains it. God, you are the one that makes it pure and holy and righteous by the blood of your Son. God, may we be encouraged tonight. God, may we be strengthened. God, may we be reminded of the gift it is to be a part of the church. And may we leave being the church to those around us, God, that they might see you in a new way. They might be drawn to the light that is ours. Father, your grace and your mercy has been lavished. God, help us to rejoice. Help us to go out in the freedom of that. In your beautiful Son's name, we can ask these things and trust these things and lay these things before you. Amen. Uh, I think there was an announcement. Yes. Alec? Yes. All right, guys. So...